You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Our sermon text this morning comes from Acts 19, 1 through 20. When Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized, he asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now there were about twelve men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples, and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands, so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now some of that itinerant Jewish exorcist also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them. So they ran out of the house naked and wounded. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. This is God's word. All right. Well, good morning. We are in a wild text right now in Acts. Acts 19. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to turn there with us. We're going to have the text on the screen as always, but it's helpful to have that right in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible of your own and you're with us this morning, as always, we have those available both under the seats and over at the, um, on the shelf in the corner. We'd love to put one in your hand as a gift from us. So if you turn to Acts 19, I'm Chad, one of the pastors here at King's Cross, and we're teaching through the book of Acts and continuing on in our message into Acts 19. And this morning, in particular, we are talking about spiritual warfare. So let's pray that the Holy Spirit would be with us as we pour through this text. If you will, bow with me. Heavenly Father, we're grateful this morning for the opportunity to be here together as your people. 
God, I pray, Lord, that you impress us on us the reality that surrounds us, that there's a spiritual warfare at play even if we acknowledge it or not. God, I pray as we walk through this story with Paul that we are encouraged by your promises, that we are emboldened in our witness, and Lord, that we are strengthened every day in our faith and the way that we look more like Jesus. And I ask all this in Christ's name, amen. So this morning, as mentioned, we are going to be in Acts 19, and you've already heard a portion of this. We're actually going to go through the entire chapter and walk through this, and my goal and intention is to, to walk through this together with you and look at um, what's happening in this, in Ephesus, really. Um, you know, if you've been with us for any time or heard anything from us about the kingdom of God, you will recognize that we see from the beginning that Jesus has been about advancing the kingdom of God. And that's why we came into Acts to continue that message where we see the apostles continuing to advance the kingdom of God. And it's not just some random thing in which, hey, there's this fun kingdom that's now going to take over the world, but it's, a, it's an advancement of conquest, it's the kingdom of God taking over ground where darkness has ruled. And, and if you can imagine when two kingdoms come head to head, sparks fly. Matter of fact, when Jesus launches his ministry and he gets up in the um, synagogue there in Luke 4, chapter 17 to 21, we read that he quotes from Isaiah in a pronouncement of the beginning of his ministry. And he says this, in verse 17, I'm going to read Luke 4. You don't have to, you can turn there if you'd like. But the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying to them, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Listen to what he's announcing here. These things aren't just physical healings. He's not talking about releasing those who are physically in prison and captive alone. He's not only talking about giving physical sight to the blind and setting free physically those who are oppressed, but this is a spiritual freedom. This is a spiritual healing that he's bringing. The year of the Lord's favor is here, and he's come to pronounce to all those who have been ruled under darkness that I'm here and I'm setting things right. And that's how he launches his ministry. And over and over through the Gospels, we see he preaches the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he comes into direct conflict with evil spirits along the way, which would happen. And we see later that Paul acknowledges the fact in Ephesians 6, notably that this is the exact place he's at right now. He writes a letter to Ephesus in Ephesians 6 that we should put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against 
the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heaven. And for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. So why do I introduce this section this way? Because what's interesting about this is we read the stories that are in this chapter and we probably think it looks something like maybe a scene from Harry Potter where there's mystical things going on, there's magic happening, there's crazy things, and we're like, we don't see that today, do we? I'm not expecting to walk outside and see a random spirit fly out of somebody. We just don't anticipate that. But I would argue that spirits, evil, and enemies of God are very much alive and active today. In fact, what's interesting about this letter that Paul writes to Ephesus is that he writes it in the context of really everyday life as a Christian. He says, put on the armor of God because you're going to need it in the battle of day-to-day life. He, he introduces the gospel and then goes to and tells them, this is how you live in your marriage. This is how you live with your kids. This is how you live with your employer. This is how you live together. And by the way, put on the armor of God because you're going to need it. And really, that's the battleground that we face today. We face today in our homes and our lives and our families and our relationships, the spiritual warfare constantly day in and day out to try to take ground that should be the Lord's. See, we shouldn't be surprised when we see a conflict and clash when there's a full-on assault of God's kingdom on darkness that has been prevailed for centuries. Paul's entering into a zone that has been owned by Artemis, by gods, by evil spirits, by, by, by witchcraft. Evil has enjoyed these centuries of ruling, and now when these kingdoms, kingdoms collide, God has brought in Christ the rule and reign of his kingdom. And crazy things start happening. But note something. God's kingdom is overpowering them. They are stronger than them. And what do terrorist forces do when they face a big, strong army they couldn't fight in outright battle? What do the Taliban and Al-Qaeda do? Do they go parade in the streets and announce their battle and their war and fight outright in the streets in front of everybody's face? No, America would crush them there. Wouldn't they? No, no. Are, are human terrorists more intelligent than the spiritual terrorists? Can you consider that? Why do we not see this outright war that seems to be present in 19 today? Because they're subversive because they get in our homes, because they get in our ears, because they get in our families, because they teach our kids, they guide them, they lie, they direct our lives in such a way. And if we believe that over God, we will fall into into their grasp as prey. French literary figure Charles Baudelaire, you may have actually thought this was something from uh, The Usual Suspects, but it's actually a quote from a French literary figure who said the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And we run the risk, if we don't acknowledge spiritual warfare, of living life like that this is fine dog. (laughs) Sitting at the table sipping coffee while the house burns down around us. It's all good, it's fine, I'm fine. And the thing is, the world we live in, (laughs) the polls show that people believe in spiritual reality. 
They acknowledge and know. There was an October 2022 Barna survey that said that 2,000 U.S. adults, that of those 2,000 U.S. adults, three out of four said they want to grow spiritually and that they believe in a higher power. And merely half of them are open to God today more before than the pandemic. But there was also another Wall Street Journal report that reported that only 31% of younger Americans said religion was very important to them. Do you see the difference? A New York Post article wrote about this and quoted from three different young people in their 20s and below. They said this, Christian Camacho, verse 24, said that a lot of people turn, are turned off by institutions. Alora Nevers, 29, told the outlet she stopped attending her Catholic church because it put too much emphasis on donations. I'd rather praise God the way I do with my family. We pray every night. And Becca Bell, 18, explained she does not attend services as much as she used to, but she maintains her faith in part by following social media users who discuss their own beliefs. The world does not deny spirituality. It just has a really bad taste in its mouth about the way some believers have presented God and lived out faith in front of them. It's true. They don't have a rejection of the fact that there is a power at work around us. And so that should invite us to a conversation. We have a seat at the table. And we can acknowledge that God works in crazy ways behind the scenes and in front of our faces and we can talk to people about the great God who is powerful over all spiritual things they might imagine could be at play. Spiritual warfare is a real thing but the encouragement that we take is that not only did Jesus pronounce the advancement of the kingdom but he pronounced the end because in Matthew 16 he told his people that I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. This isn't even a match. It's not that we don't know who the victor is in the end. This isn't getting our hopes up for the hurricanes in the Stanley Cup only to see them swept by Florida. This isn't Miami versus Denver. What's gonna happen? There is no question here. When it comes to spiritual warfare, we know who wins. And ultimately, friends, if we are disciples of Christ, we are on his mission. The Christian life is a life of Jesus' mission. The Christian life is a life of advancing God's kingdom by making disciples and standing firm against the enemies of God's kingdom. To stand firm. And in this passage, as we walk through it, there are three promises that I want us to, to recognize. There are three promises that I hope encourage us on this spiritual battle that we face day after day, day in and day out, because it can become overwhelming. And the first is verses one through five, where we see that the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers this mission. Read with me in verse one. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Now for some context, this part of the story kind of connects to the end of chapter 18, where we see Apollos is teaching rightly about Jesus, it says, and that Priscilla and Aquila come in to help fill in some gaps, okay? 
We then flow over, remember Apollos, he's, he's got right about Jesus, but he has some gaps. And one of his issues is he was, a, he was teaching about John's baptism. He was following John the Baptist. There was things about his teaching that weren't complete. But here in verse one, or the beginning of chapter 19, these guys don't even realize there's a Holy Spirit. And as we're gonna read down a little further, don't even appear to be aware of Jesus himself. This is, this is interesting because when it talks about John being one who paves the way, we see that the, what John has been teaching, the baptism of, of repentance, has been spreading like wildfire ahead of the gospel. And so we have people with some incomplete knowledge, but they are prepared for the gospel. Because when John spoke of the baptism of repentance, he also said, we see in the gospels, that there's someone coming after me who's gonna baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And so their, their response shouldn't be, well, we haven't heard about a Holy Spirit. It's just, we haven't heard that he's here yet. What's going on? John talked about it. And so Paul goes on in verse three. It's what then were you baptized, he asked. And to John's baptism, they replied. And Paul's response is this. John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him. That is in Jesus. What did he do? He completed their knowledge. He introduced them to the one they were looking for. John had taught about baptism and repentance. They turned from those things and they waited in anticipation for the one who would come after him. In verse five, when they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. And there were about 12 men in all. So the Holy Spirit is what empowers the mission. Why do I say that? Well, because the first thing that Jesus promises his people, like in Acts 1.8, is that the Holy Spirit will come on you in power and then you will be my, mission, my, my, my um, witnesses. And then here, when we see these disciples looking for the one to come, they came, prayed with him, introduced him to Jesus, and they were given the Holy Spirit. Okay, every time along the way, we see the promise of Jesus to give the comforter is fulfilled. Now, here's what I want us to not do. We don't wanna prescribe some kind of reality here that, that there's some order of things that in which they learn about Jesus, you lay their hands on them, pray, and they get the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's a whole development of that that, that is in certain pockets of Christianity. What, what I think God helps us avoid that because it happens differently every time it acts. Every time. It, the, the tongues of fire falls, the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples and they start speaking in, in languages they'd never learned before and all of a sudden everyone starts to come to, to the gospel. We see that uh, Cornelius gets the Holy Spirit before, before Peter even decides he wants to baptize him. Okay? And then here, they've learned some things and then then the uh, disciple or Paul brings the rest of the knowledge of Jesus to them, which is then confirmed by the Holy Spirit coming to live in them. The Holy Spirit is a confirmation of the power of God in us on mission. And without him, you and I are unarmed against the enemy. Okay, in military terms, we're Winchester. It means we're out of ammo. And literally, it's not like when somebody's on the battlefield and they run out of ammo, at least they could use the gun to hit the enemy. In this particular case, you got nothing without the Holy Spirit in you. He empowers us on mission by 
by giving enabling spiritual gifts that we can use for the good of the kingdom. He gives us strength to endure trials and challenges. He gives us wisdom and guidance and insight and discernment to make godly decisions, to understand scripture, to discern spiritual truths. He prays and intercedes for us. He teaches and, and, and informs our prayers. He changes us and, and presents through us producing spiritual fruit, such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which, by the way, the fruit of the Spirit of God in a person has never been said as kind of like a best practices or a good idea. It's a reality of the Spirit in you. It's a reality. I would argue many of the people today who are turned off by what they see as religion is because they have been horridly treated by people who presented no fruit of the Spirit. He changes us. He gives us boldness in our witness. He convicts us of sin and brings us to repentance. But what is it that's happening here when we see this presentation of tongues, when we see prophesying by these people? What more than that is but the Spirit of God affirming himself and his work in them so that they can know that the message is true? God works in unique ways all throughout Acts, and he's worked in unique ways for all of you who believed. Has he not? I, I was young. I remember wanting to come to Jesus. At one point, I presented the desire to follow him. My father led me through a prayer. I was baptized. I was probably sub-seven when, when I accepted him. I was probably 12, I think, when I was baptized. I'm not, this is not critiquing. I believe God was gracious and continued to work through that. But I was very naive, and I was very under-discipled. I grew up a long time with a lot of what I would call cultural Christian behavior. I knew the right things to do and generally knew some stuff about Scripture, but God was super gracious through that. And I remember that even as I learned things that I didn't quite realize, I remember at a point when the Holy Spirit was gracious enough to illuminate things in a way that I could never have realized before. It's not a magical or a mystical thing, but a place where I came to the realization of what God had done for me in Christ and the way that he had worked throughout history in a fresh and new way that I had never experienced before. And it changed me. You can ask my wife. You can ask my pastor. You can ask if I was coming around prophesying, that was that. What is prophesying but receiving and proclaiming truths about the revelation of God? It's not always foretelling or future telling. It's, it's actually a very small percentage of what we see in Scripture. But to have what is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit and to speak what is true about God. And I believe God does that to us with us today. He reveals himself. He empowers our mission through the Holy Spirit. Not only does he empower our mission through the Holy Spirit, but through the Holy Spirit, he equips and confirms us as missionaries. Look at verse 8 through 20. Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading with them about the kingdom of God. Paul continued to bring the same message Jesus did. What's he preaching about? The kingdom of God. But when some hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. 
This went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jew and Greek, heard the word of the Lord. Okay, so what's going on here? Let's picture this. What Paul does like he normally does and goes into the synagogue or he goes into where the Jewish people are, are, are uh, worshiping and he speaks boldly. For three months, he gets a, a free pass, it says. And after three months, the hardened hearts of people who wouldn't believe begin to essentially heckle him, refute him. It says blaspheme and slander the way in front of the crowd. So they start causing problems for his witness. So what does he do? He pulls back and he goes to a place that is described as the lecture hall of Tyrannus. We don't know really who this guy is. We know that there's maybe he's the owner of the hall. Maybe it's a place he normally speaks. But he goes on there and able to speak freely with people for two years so that every resident in Asia hears the way of the Lord, the word of the Lord. All the residents heard. Some of us here find this crazy as a missionary task. Can you imagine if our task was to make sure that every resident in in, in the triangle heard the word of the Lord? Because we go to some local spot and we're just talking nonstop. Anybody feel overwhelmed by that? I spent two days talking to a lot of Baptists, and I am white. (laughs) They're exhausting. Maybe that's a different kind of exhausting. But the thing we want to recognize is that Paul was not necessarily equipped any differently from you and I. You have the same Holy Spirit. Whatever mission God has called you to, he's equipped you for. That if you need to speak the word of the Lord, he will give you the words. God has promised that. He equipped Paul for what needed to be done and he equips you and I. Paul faced opposition and he went on to a different place to bring the word of the Lord. Hey, that's like a, that's encouraging for me, by the way. You don't have to try to go after the the worst of the worst opposition and feel like you're banging your head against the wall. Just move on to those who will listen. Pray for them, bid them well, but continue to speak. So Paul moves on, he goes on to another location, and if we have any encouragement from the stats I shared before, people are open to talk about spiritual things. It might be a place that you go to, it's not the hall of Tyrannus, it might be a place you go like a regular coffee shop, lunch break with your coworkers. It might be places of relationship that are open to conversation like friends and family. It might be just one single open door of conversation that God's asking you to walk through. I've had a number of good spiritual conversations. I've had random Uber drives with people that went way off the wire. The dude sat in my front yard, uh, in my front of my house for like 15, 20 minutes to keep talking to me. I'm not lying. It was really fun. (laughs) He didn't get, get him all the way there, but we talked about some great stuff. But I've also failed terribly. I had, you want to talk about an open door? Okay, we were flying out together. I mentioned this to, Aaron knows about this, but he was there with me. Uh, This is judgment on me. So we're sitting there and the Uber driver, I didn't know this, it tells you what they do other than drive Ubers. This is new to me. It said paranormal investigator. You're talking about an open door. Hey, so what's that paranormal you're looking at? It was 6 a.m., guys. Don't judge me. I didn't want to talk. 
I'm literally, I'm telling you the truth. That was such an open door. I don't know what God was planning on doing. He put it there. I'm not lying. I sit there, battled a little bit. Aaron doesn't know. I was looking at the wall like, I'm tired. Are you serious? Aaron, just keep talking about the whatever. I'm not kidding. I'm not lying. This shocks you. Aaron was talking more than I was in the car. <laughs> Therefore, he really was. <laughs> he was probably looking for inroads. I'm like, I'm just, I don't want to. <laughs> we got up at five. <laughs> um, but there's open doors to conversations and we can be bold enough in those open doors of conversation because we can trust that God has equipped us for the mission. But he also confirms those that carry his message. Look at 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hand so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. This is wild stuff. Nobody's taking my hanky and going to the hospital and healing people. There's a sense in which God is meeting these people where they are so that he can confirm his power and the message of the gospel in Paul. And lives got changed. I bet you start healing people. People do it all the time nowadays. You go to YouTube, look for healers. I guarantee you'll find them. People are going to say that, I'm not saying they're true or not, by the way. Some of them are, are, are grifters. They are, are trying to just get their own platform. Let me not, let me not say that uh, distractingly. But, but, but today you go out and you have video of this kind of stuff, there's going to be denial, it's camera tricks, it's live, whatever. What, where's the hidden string? Nobody's going to believe that. But in this case, God knew what they needed to hear, knew what they needed to see, and at the front line of the war against darkness, he was able to save and set the captives free. That's what he's doing. Crazy stuff. God is confirming the power of Paul and his message. But what happens when other people try to use that same power? Look at verse 13. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcism, exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Now, this is interesting because we actually have evidence. I think it's in Paris in a museum. There's actually uh, magician's notes that we know people said these kind of things, where they actually made claim on the Jesus those people worshipped or the Yahweh that they worshipped. Because the magicians were just trying to make a, make a way, make a living, and so they were going to use anything that might work. And in this case, that's what we see, that Paul is out there and they see the power he has, and they're like, well, I guess there's something in Jesus. But simultaneously, they're not a messenger of the gospel or Jesus Christ because what do they, how do they describe it? I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Not mine, that one. And what happens when these local profiteers get on and try to, try to take the power they see in Paul and make a living for themselves? Well, look at this example. Seven sons of Siva, Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Luke is kind of funny about this. He is, he's enjoying writing this, to be honest with you. He's like, let me give you an example of something that happened. He's <laughs> like, they came in there and said, you get out in the name of that Jesus. And at this point, they are trying to oppose darkness. It, it reminds me of Jesus' statement against a house divided can't stand. He's saying, well, you think I'm casting out demons and Satan's power? No way. Because they're simply trying to do it for their own benefit. And the, and the spirit looks at him and says, look, I know who Jesus is. I know him. I recognize there's also a sense in which I respect Paul. I know him. I know that guy. He's got power. But I got no clue who you are. 
and I don't respect you. And what happens when they come head to head? God doesn't confirm their power because his is not in them. The man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. Have you ever been in a fight before or seen a fight? I can promise you, if you run away naked, you lost. <laughs> no respect. No, no respect. But what happened as a result of this? The demonstration that the name of the Lord and Jesus Christ should be revered. Verse 17, when this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. The name of Jesus was not being taken for granted. And many who became believers, and many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices. While many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. That's some headway. That's power. That has transformed lives. Magicians' books, these, these books of spells, they weren't cheap. It probably wouldn't have taken long for them to get to 50,000 in pieces of silver. One piece of silver was about a day's worth of work. 50,000 work days worth of material they poured out. Why? Because they knew that the Lord Jesus was to be held in high esteem. And what I don't want us to miss in verse 18 is this. Who were the first ones that came confessing? Those who had become believers came forward confessing and disclosing their practices. That, that means that these are people who had confessed to be a follower of Jesus, but they still held on to the practices of darkness. They were still trying to share in the power that might be kept there. And friends, evil thrives in the dark. And so they brought it to light. Some of us in here are still giving darkness a place in our life. Some of us are still allowing Satan to have a foothold because we refuse to bring it out to the light. Because we refuse to acknowledge that Jesus' name should be held in high esteem and that all other things should be repented of and turned from and handed over to him. You can be walking free in Christ, but you're still living like a slave. And the enemy is fine continuing to live that way. Did you know that? A, a cultural Christian that just shows up most Sundays, knows what to say, and allows darkness to envelop their life, their home, and their family is a-okay with the enemies of God. Because you're not making a dent in the, for the kingdom. In fact, darkness has ownership on you. But the hope that we have in this, that the opposition against the kingdom can't stop the mission. Look at verse 21. After these events, Paul resolved by the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. And after I've been there, he said, it is necessary for me to see Rome as well. After sending Macedonia, 
two of those who assisted him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Paul decides he's ready to move on to Rome, but he stays for a little longer. So what happens in this community? Verse 23, about that time, there was a major disturbance about the way. For a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. Okay, the, the, the kingdom has been assaulting Ephesus. The kingdom of God has been coming to bear. People are pouring out. They're, they're, they're burning and destroying witchcraft and idols, right? The believers are confessing their sin. More people are coming into the kingdom. The way of the Lord is spread. And this is what Paul, I'm now a Paul, what Demetrius comes concerned with. Are you ready? He's a silversmith who makes silver shrines of Artemis. Verse 25, when he had assembled them together as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. You see and hear that not only is in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this man Paul has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hands are not gods. What is his primary and first concern? Finances. Did you notice that? you know that we make a good bit of money from this. He's not lying either. Now, we don't have any evidence in, in the archaeology of silver shrines. Just let me let you know that. But guess what would have been really hot for people who are grave robbers and people who are trying to melt these things down? Silver. So we probably wouldn't find it. But we find tons of idols of Artemis in this area. Artemis, the temple of Artemis is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was huge in that area, and it was located right in Ephesus. Every year, thousands from around Asia would flock to their city, and guess who was making bank? Okay? All right. At this point, the gospel is coming into conflict with their pocketbook. And so Demetrius exposes his concern up front. Got, hey, Paul's messing up our income stream here. Paul is coming and telling people that these gods we make aren't anything, which we saw if you looked at the chapter 17 when he went to Athens. And, and that means people aren't going to buy what we're selling, guys. We need to do something about it. But verse 27, he turns his strategy a little bit. You ready? Not only do we run a risk that our business may be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised and her magnificent come to the verge of ruin the very one all of Asia and the world worship. Now he makes a popular appeal. What's he turned to? Religion and patriotism. I'm not making it up. It's right here. He's got financial concerns, but his first pitch is about finances them. You know that we're not making money. Oh, but by the way, also think about it. Our great Artemis is being defamed. And Ephesus, where all Asia comes. What about us? And we know that's what he's stirring up because what is it they begin to chant? When they heard this, they were filled with rage and began to cry out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. What? Great is Artemis of who? The Ephesians. Why? I've seen political rallies like this. It's chants. That's what I'm picturing. That's what I'm seeing. Chanting, chanting stirring them up, emotionally driven. Why? Because they don't like the message that Paul's bringing. It's disrupting what for thousands of years evil has ruled over. 
So the city was filled with what? Confusion. And they rushed all together into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. Although Paul wanted to go in before the people, the disciples did not let him. Even some of the provincial officials of Asia who were his friends sent word to him, pleading with him not to venture into the amphitheater. They didn't want him to run into the chaos. Some were shouting one thing and some another because the assembly was in confusion. Why they had come together. That also sounds like a political rally. I'm sorry, I'm just, I'll stay <laughs> off of that. Some Jews in the crowd gave instructions to Alexander after they had pushed him to the front, motioning with his hands. Alexander wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they recognized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Oh, stirring up the emotions, stirring up the passions. Absolutely no logical reason. They don't even know why they're there. But evil has a hold on them. And evil has used evil men for its purposes to stir the crowd so much so that Paul is in danger as seen by everyone else. And when they see Alexander come forward, he's possibly making a defense for the Christians, likely also trying to, to separate them from the Christians. Like Jews, like, hey, we're Jewish people. Don't, we don't like them either. But who knows? He didn't get to say anything because they saw he was a Jew and said, we don't care what you have to say. And then what happens when the city clerk comes forward? The city clerk had calmed the crowd. He said, people of Ephesus, what person is there who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian, the great Artemis? And of the image that fell from heaven, they, they believe a meteorite struck. Actually, there was ancient story of a meteorite that hit and brought the God to them. Fell from heaven. Therefore, since these things are undeniable, you must keep calm and not do anything rash. For you have brought these men here who are not temple robbers or blasphemers of our goddess. So if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a case against anyone, the courts are in session and there are proconsuls let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it must be decided in a legal assembly. In fact, we run a risk of being charged with rioting for what happened today, since there is no justification that we can give as a reason for this disturbance. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. So what happens here? The kingdom of God comes into direct conflict with the the property that has been under the control of the kingdom of darkness. And, and God prevails. He pushes back. Jesus is being worshiped, his name being revered. And as you can imagine, darkness doesn't like it. It stirs up any manner of men like Demetrius to try to fight back violently, to bring assault against Paul. But let's take a closer look at the clash between these two kingdoms. On one side, the kingdom of God is shining with clarity, bringing hope, freedom, and order in Christ. And on the other side, the kingdom of darkness is casting confusion, chaos, working in fear and desperation. The kingdom of God operates within the boundaries of lawfulness in most cases. Look, Paul is respected and blameless. There's never a time we see that they can charge him legally with anything. There's only one time where they tried to direct Peter not to speak. And he's like, listen, I, I got to speak about this, but you can't stop that. Other than that, they were orderly and lawful. 
But when kingdom of darkness becomes desperate and panicking, it fosters lawlessness, stirring up the crowd, threatening riots. It's a world of difference between these two kingdoms. And it goes to show that the kingdom of God is in control and more powerful than any darkness this world could ever bring. Darkness is desperate. Evil is losing. And it might, <laughs> I can't tell you something, it might not feel that way. If you look at the news and you watch any kind of like random someone talking about the desperation of the, of the, the downturn of the nation we live in, I get news for you. Jesus doesn't lose. That light conquers darkness and righteousness prevails. That we know the victor over all. And even as we live this Christian life, advancing God's kingdom, making disciples, and standing firm against the enemies of God's kingdom, we can know for sure that the Holy Spirit empowers our mission and that he equips us and confirms us as missionaries and witnesses for the kingdom of God on this earth. And opposition can't stand against it. Just it won't stand. The gates of Hades will not prevail. And I've said it before, but gates aren't an offensive weapon. Nobody's running around with gates beating people in a field. Mm -mm. They're on the defense. And Jesus says they're not, they're not gonna win. We worship the one who conquers death and we fight in spiritual warfare. We stand firm on the promises of God that his spirit is with us and he equips us and we can trust in that. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony of the gospel, the testimony that Paul has. Thank you that he continues to press on throughout Asia. He goes on into city after city, facing down opponents. And he does so that we can stand on that, knowing that he trusts your spirit. He trusts you to equip him. You trust him to trust you to guide him. And God, we can as well that we don't have to harbor darkness in our own lives, but we can bring it to the light. We can revere Jesus' name and we can trust in you and know that in Christ, you are making all things new. Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your love. And I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.